The following program is intended for mature audiences. The time is now for the hardest hit, yet completely trivial, football show on the planet. You are in rarefied territory. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Broken Helmet. Let's rock. And coming to you live on tape with a super belated Super Bowl recap. It is Rich Eggy here with another episode of the Helmet That Is Broken, where we still, and I repeat, still have no idea what the hell The Rock was wearing during those intros. I mean, seriously. What the hell, dude? Ron, look, if I were to say to you that I dug that outfit, what would you say to me? You are a stupid asshole. <laughs> Alrighty then. Tell us how you really feel, right? You're always good like that. JR, I'll kick it to you. If I were to say that The Rock looked like a giant human eggplant emoji, what would you say? That's exactly what he is! Yes, yes, he did look quite stupid, if I would say. As the great Turk texted me, he looked like a plum. He looked like a giant plum. So, whatever your purple related analogy was, it would most likely apply to Mr. Johnson's outfit because it was horrific. And talk about a fall from grace. That rock-esque intro, I, it did not work. It was awful, a matter of fact. Although, I, there might have just been bad karma from doing something NFL-related because with the exception of a few notable items, the NFL has historically failed at Super Bowl-attached productions. But, you know, if you think, even when The Rock returned to do those small WWE stints at the end before he finally hung it up, he was never as great as he was in his youth. But you can't really blame him, right? He's become a megastar, owns Hollywood, just bought the XFL for crying out loud. You can't really be screaming in people's faces anymore about eating pie or digging strudel, right? Rock, sorry, sorry, buddy. You can't. It's over. Great run, but now you make movies like Black Adam and Jungle Cruise. That's what you're cooking in 2022. Anyway, as for the big game, Super Bowl 56, which my brother and I kept calling Super Bowl 54. Uh, And where yours truly specifically stated that the game would not end with the Rams winning by a field goal. We saw those Rams indeed win by three by a score of 23-20. to Although it was not a field goal that ended that game, it was indeed a touchdown that was the final score of the game. And for those of you that had it, Cooper Cup, for the final score of the game, with a touchdown, ended up being his second touchdown of the game. So that play in itself netted a bunch of prop betters some serious cash. So it got him the two. It was the final uh, touchdown of the game, and that score ended at 23-20. to As for the game itself, I mean, look, what can you say? It was indeed a close game, and that is what you want. Not great in terms of gameplay and dead in the water for almost a quarter there uh, in the third, after, probably after that uh, touchdown play to Higgins. Um, I, you know, you, you 
kind of fell off the map, and it was just dunsky for a little bit. But regardless, it was a close game decided at the end, and there have definitely been worse Super Bowls. So for that, we've got to be thankful. I mean, you had big plays in the game. Coop netted the MVP, Stafford, and a huge performance down the stretch. Stafford had a big drive at the end, kind of put it together, had a phenomenal throw, which we will talk about. Throw of the Super Bowl late in the game there to Cup itself, himself, uh, that was phenomenal. Uh, Burrow had a good game, not a great game. Those were the good things. But you definitely had bad elements as well. Uh, specifically, those referee calls down the stretch, some of them warranted, others questionable, some of them possible makeups. Regardless, the fact that the referees became such a big part at the end of the game was unfortunate. The OBJ injury, also unfortunate, because in my opinion at least, that impacted the game tremendously from the time that that happened all the way through to that final drive when all of a sudden Cup and the Rams just turned it on. But the OBJ injury was was definitely a huge factor. I, I shouldn't say definitely. In my opinion, it was a huge factor. And then you had some really head-scratching coaching calls. But when you take it all, throw it in the blender, stir it up, it was a good Super Bowl, and we'll dive into it here. We'll do it by downs per our usual form- format. We will go first down where we'll look at the game itself from first quarter all the way through the fourth and the final drive. Second down, we'll take a look at some thematic items. Third down, we'll take a look at the non-game items. And then fourth, we'll look back at the gambling elements that we had talked about going into it and what actually transpired. So with all that said, let's go. First down. So, like we said, good game, not a great game. Definitely drama-filled. The actual gameplay, I thought, was a little bit above mediocre. Uh, Not well-played in certain regards. Definitely not the Rams' running game. Uh, Joe Burrow had a very average game. He had that one big bomb, but if you took that bomb away, he actually ultimately was 21 for 32 for a buck 88. So, not a great, great game there. In regards to the Rams' rushing offense, they only got 43 yards on 23 attempts and that was the biggest head-scratching part of their game plan was that they came out running first down runs constantly and to uh, much of the chagrin of uh, Warren Sharp who I mean anybody that follows Warren knows that over the years I mean he despises the first down run thinks it is uh, I don't want to say worthless I'm not going to put words in his mouth but it is not an efficient play and there are much better utilizations of the down rather than just plotting it right up the middle for nothing but the Rams were using it whether it was to gather information or not it didn't really bode well uh, for the Rams, and like I said, 23 carries, 43 yards. That really frustrated me because I had acres with the over 58 and a half yards in the game, and I, I thought it was going to come a different way. I thought that the Rams were going to go up, and then they were going to go to the ground and then try to take control of the clock that way. They came right out of the gate giving the rock on the ground. And so I was a little happy because I said, wow, you know, if they're going to run the ball like this and Akers is going to get, you know, get the most featured touts here with the rock, I I might be good there, right? And and I thought I was, even though it wasn't playing out the way that I originally had seen it. And I mean, Akers did get 13 carries. He only got 21 uh, yards on that. So unfortunately, that was a... (laughs) 
no-go for the acres yardage. But again, um, in regards to the Rams rushing, it didn't really benefit them. They wouldn't really give it up, whether it was information gathering or the game plan. Regardless, it didn't work out well. And the Bengals, they also struggled a little bit in, uh, you know, at least with the passing offense. You really needed Joe Burrow uh, to be clicking on all cylinders, if you will, uh, to use another cliche. My cliche monster. Um, and I don't know if that necessarily happened. But right out of the gate here, I, the game went back and forth. It was, you know, not too great out of the beginning. The Rams did look to be a little bit in uh, control early on. The Some of the early bets that you got, I was on B.J. Hill for the first sack. I was wrong with that one because it ended up being Hendrickson who got the first sack. And Hill ended up getting a... a tackle for loss right there after. So I was like, ah, so close. And then the Bengals' first drive was a turnover on downs, which was a good bet to be had. Because the way that the, I mean, either team, whether it was the Rams or it was the Bengals, uh, the Rams' first drive, by the way, ended in a punt. But both throughout the NFL season, this is what I'm trying to say as I just swallowed my tongue again. Throughout the NFL season, you have seen so many teams go for it on fourth down so long as the location on the field is acceptable and it's not, you know, fourth and 15, right? So when you were looking at the odds of the result of the first drive, which I don't think my brother and I talked about on the podcast coming into it, but it was uh, at least uh, available on DraftKings is where I saw it. I don't know if other sports books had it available, but I think it was the third lowest odds. So the, I think the first was a punt. The second might have been a score. Third might have been a turnover on downs. I, I think something to that regard. But it was a very intriguing bet because you've seen it happen more times than not. And there, that ended up being the Bengals' first drive was a turnover on downs. So there you go. So you got Hendrickson with the first sack. Bengals' first drive was a turnover on downs. And the reason I talk about the gambling is because there really wasn't much to talk about in terms of the gameplay. That was until the Rams get the ball, and then you get that great OBJ touchdown. That ends up putting them on 7-0. And so the Rams take that early lead. The Bengals come back. Chase gets a slant, makes it 3rd-4. and four. And then the next play is... A little foreboding of things to come because on third and four, you get two, they keep two running backs in the backfield on a shotgun. And then one of those running backs is Chris Evans, who then leaks out of the backfield and they try to hit him for the first down incomplete. But you're sitting there thinking to yourself, what is going on with this play calling here? I, I mean, of all the things that you're going to do to try to, uh, you know, complete a first down here, you're down seven points. You're going to do two running backs in the backfield and Chris, Chris Evans leak for the first down? I, I don't know. It was just, I didn't understand what was going on. And I think as the game went on, you saw more and more plays that were head-scratching, specifically on the Bengals' side of things. Anyway, the Evans' pass was incomplete. That leads to a punt. Rams don't do much on their next series, so they decide to punt. So you get a couple of punts here going back and forth. And then the Bengals finally get a little juice here as they get that bomb to chase. But again, like the questionable play calling on that third down that I just mentioned, you get a couple more head-scratching things here. The Bengals can't punch it in after getting that big bomb. So they end up getting a field goal. 
that brings it to 7-3 in favor of the Rams. And again, that's going to be thematic for the Bengals all day, is that when push comes to shove, they can't really... Can, they can't really get what they need, whether it be a score or a third down. If you look at that third down conversion, they were third three for 14 on third down conversions. One of three, which is obviously, uh, you know, the, the real big one that they lost out on that was at the end of the game. But so you're talking about third and fourth down conversions. You want to combine them. They're four of 17 to try to get third and fourth down conversions for the first down. So again, you see it here. They can't punt in. Well, in this regard, we're talking about getting it in the end zone, but they can't punch it in. 7-3 in favor of the Rams. Rams start getting some things going here. So Beckham, who already has the touchdown, gets his second big play. He gets a big uh, pass. I think it was going down the right sideline. Uh, well, depending on what which way you're looking at the field. And then Henderson got a big play on the left sideline. I'm doing this, obviously, through the TV uh, ratio, TV aspect. So Henderson gets that big play on the left side, and then that turns into a cup touchdown, uh, botched extra point, so that puts him up to 13-3. Now that extra point ends up becoming a really big deal down the end of the line, or maybe we don't know how big of a deal it could have been, but um, we'll talk about that in a little bit. So 13-3 here, Rams, and the Rams at this point really feel like they're in control, right? Because if you're watching this game, you said, you know what? That's two big plays for uh, for OBJ. He, at that point, has two catches for 52 yards and a touchdown. And while Cup is being a little kept in check, Cup did get the touchdown right there. And so you're saying, you know, maybe even if they're doing this bracket coverage on Cup all game, which they had done, I mean, OBJ, they don't seem to have an answer for. So if we can feature OBJ and we get him going at a clip here of like 25 yards a catch, we are looking to be in business. And, you know, the Bengals just didn't look good when they were down 13-3. Now, they do get a nice mix and run on the next on the next possession series. And then Higgins gets the first down. Mixon gets the trick throw. And now it's 13-10. So big play and the Bengals are screwed like scraping, scraping by to stay in this game. And congratulations because you keep it at 13-10. It didn't feel that way watching the game. It felt like the Rams big time. And I was big on the Rams. So at 13-10, I'm like, oh, you know what? They're staying in it, but I still have the Rams and, and the spread. I'm not really that worried because OBJ right now is eating them up. And I'm not sure that they're going to be able to keep up here with the Rams for four quarters if they've got to pull out all these tricks to just stay in here, you know, and keep the game within three. Anyway, on the next series, unfortunately, OBJ goes down. And everything got thrown into uh, a tizzy at that point uh, because OBJ, once he left... The game changed completely. Now, I've heard at this point, I've listened to so many podcasts, I know that many people feel the same way. There are definitely a big handful of people that feel the opposite. But, I mean, if you look at the results of their drives after the OBJ injury, it's I think it's hard to offer a contra-argument to the fact that OBJ had a big impact once he left the game. So... OBJ's last series, complete series with the Rams, scored them a touchdown to go 13-3. Now they're at 13-10, they get the ball back. After OBJ gets the injury, you're going to see the Rams have an interception, a punt, an interception, a field goal, a punt, a punt, a punt, until their final drive when they finally get the touchdown. So 
the seven drives after the OBJ injury, you saw two punts, or four punts, two interceptions, and one field goal. Again, seven drives after OBJ went down, four punts, two interceptions, and one field goal. So, I mean, and they're all consecutive. That was all the way up until they got the touchdown at the very end. So once OBJ went down, I mean, the proof's in the pudding right there. And you kind of saw it because they just didn't have a lot to go with, right? I mean, there was nothing. Van Jefferson was not the answer. Skoranek, not the answer. Uh, I mean, and and he really had a bad game. You can't blame him. I I mean, it's not his spot, right? I mean, it's not Jefferson's spot either. I'd expect a little bit more from Jefferson um, than I would him. But neither of them are OBJ. And so when OBJ goes down there, everything all of a sudden becomes more manageable for the Bengals. So anyway, OBJ goes down. Stafford tries to go downtown on that drive. That gets intercepted by Bates. Oh, actually, that that interception... Was the first interception of the game. So there you go for anybody that had Bates for the first INT. Um, you also got a flag there on Hargraves for that taunting celebration. He ran out into the end zone in his flip-flops and socks. Hey, uh, you know, maybe if he didn't wear socks, he wouldn't get the flag, right? It's 2022. Can we just come to the agreement that you don't wear socks with flip-flops? You just don't do it. I know that some people down in Florida, I mean, it, it, it's what you like to do, but let me tell you that the majority of people from the outside looking in are telling you, you, my friend, with the socks and the flip-flops, no, that's not the way to go. It's not. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't be rude. Sorry. It's the truth. You don't wear socks with flip-flops. Anyway, there was a completely non-funny uh, and comedic uh, rant there about socks and flip-flops. But point being, Hargraves got the flag for taunting. Uh, it didn't really matter. The Bengals have a crap series after that. Then we're approaching the end of the half. Cup, Cup got a... Uh, I keep saying Coop. Cup got a ball where I thought he should have went out of bounds toward the end of the half there, try to save save some time. Didn't uh, then take a terrible shot downfield, and that ends the half. So we start off the second half. The Rams control most of the second half, or first half, that is. Bengals have stayed in it. Bengals used a nice trick play to get on the board, the mix-in halfback toss. That kept it within firing distance at 13-10. And then, obviously, OBJ goes down, and you know I, the Bengals are a little excited because what was causing them a lot of problems, at least uh, you know for two plays there for 50-whatever, what do you add, uh, 52 yards, um, you know all of a sudden OBJ is not in there, and they don't have to worry about taking care of him uh, on top of the bracketing of Cup that they had been doing. So we start off the second half, and this is where things get really interesting because because the Bengals, who were a little bit on the ropes until that OBJ injury, they get the Higgins touchdown on the missed penalty. Thoughts on the penalty? I don't know. It's been dissected every single way, uh, and then some at this point. So my two cents, if the referee missed it, which I I believe he did, he would have thrown the flag otherwise. How did the referee miss it? I mean, it's just his positioning. It's tough to see. Should there be a sky judge or some kind of oversight committee that is assigned for this specific instance? Maybe. But again, how how are you really going to legislate that? I, I mean, when is the sky crew or whatever you want to call them going to be utilized? Is it going to be in the playoffs? Is it going to be in the Super Bowl? Is it going to be in everyday games? What plays do they actually look for? What plays don't they? 
I mean, it could be an entire rule book just with itself if you're going to have sky judges that evaluate plays after the fact. Can it be done? I'm sure it can. I'm just not sure, you know, how feasible it is, um, you know, in, in the short term. If they want to try to spend several years trying to figure out the best way to do it, I know that people think that it could be done really quickly. I don't, I'm not, I don't necessarily think so. Every time that the NFL over its history has tried to implement something um, in the short term, it, it's always it's always kind of crashed and burned, right? I mean, think about replay. Replay went away, and now it's back, right? So, I mean, this is the second rendition of replay. And now if you're going to have some kind of sky oversight committee that's going to watch out for specific plays, such as this penalty on Higgins, you know, I, I just don't know how well that's going to be able to be rolled out um, before people start pushing back on what they're seeing on the field and how it's actually operating. But anyway, um, it is what it is. They missed the touch. They missed the the penalty. It resulted in a touchdown, huge touchdown, and that put the Bengals up at seventeen to three. And so, pretty huge uh, at that point because it, with. The Rams struggling as they were once OBJ went out, and it was only a couple of, uh, you know, it was the interception and then the punt. So they only had two series at this point before this injury went down. But um, they did not look nearly as good as they did early in the game. And now all of a sudden they're behind and they're going to have to come back. So you're the Rams fans, you're starting to get a little concerned, a little concerned. And that ends up becoming more of a concern as on the next series, Stafford throws that pick. So now here you go. OBJ goes down. They throw an interception. Then they punt. The Bengals come back. They take the lead. And now Stafford throws a pick. So you're sitting there just like, oh shit. You know, uh, this is exactly uh, what we did not want to see happen is the Stafford implosion, which, you know, you get scared of because at at certain times over his career, uh, things have happened in that regard. So Bengals get the ball back. Fourth and one, up four. I don't know here why they just didn't take the three. Ultimately, they get the three, so it's no big deal. But you think about it, what's wrong with the points? You know, Burrow does get that first down, but if Burrow doesn't get the first down there for whatever reason, you know, it, it's at Rams 18, you're going to miss those three points. And right here, that those three points would have put you up at a, a solid touchdown, right? 20 to 13. They ultimately get it again, I understand, but I'm just saying here, you know, Take the points because they do have a compounding, you know, nature in the sense that they don't just give you a lead. They give you a full, solid touchdown lead. Anyway, Burrow gets the first down. They have two crap plays, and then Donald comes through. Donald could have been an MVP in this game um, because the plays that he made at the key points, and especially down the stretch, he was phenomenal. He gets a sack here after two crap plays. That leads to the field goal that I was alluding to, and that puts them up 20-13. to 13. So now they have the one touchdown lead. And this is where, you know, the the breakdown starts, right? This is where the breakdown starts. Because the breakdown here after that field goal goes like this. Punt, 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 punt. Four punts in a row after they go up 20 to 13. And again, this is where I was referring to Burrow not having the greatest of games. Again, you take away that huge bomb to Higgins, which was 75 yards, and that puts Burrow at 21 of 32 for a buck 88. Not the greatest stats on the earth, you know, especially for a play that could have been reversed, uh, you know, had that had a flag come out uh, for that face mask 
call offensive face masks. But anyway, so this is where the breakdown starts for the Bengals as they have four punts in a row after that. So now we have the Rams with the ball. They get a third and five, and they attempt a trick play. This was the Cooper Cup, the Philly special, Cooper Cup to um, Stafford, and that was incomplete. I, I, again, questioned that call because I don't know why there's six minutes left in the third period. It would just be for a first down. Why you would whip out the Philly, Philly, Philly special, whatever it was, because it just felt like that should have been used in a situation similar to the Bengals using Mixon's touchdown pass. Something that was really needed. Now, granted, I'm, I'm sure they felt a little bit of their offense on the skids here, and they wanted to get you know something going. Um, I just don't know if that was the spot. But regardless, it was incomplete. And so that led to a Rams field goal. And this brings it to 2016. Now... This is where the entire game falls apart. And you want to talk about why the game, in my opinion, wasn't the best of games? I mean, all right, 5.58 left in the third. And that's after the field goal of the Rams to make it 20-16. to So 5.58 left in the third. After this point, this is what you get in drives. Seven punts, one touchdown, one turnover on downs, and one drive to end the game. Seven punts, seven, seven punts, a turnover on downs that drive down the game, and then one touchdown. That, that's all you got from 5.58 left in the third all the way through the end of the fourth and end of game. Um, and so if you had any of those, uh, what do you call it, the, the capture the flag type tournaments in the boxes where you get paid by the minute, whoever had the zero uh, Bengals six Rams got paid out a ton. Because they had that from 558 all the way through until the touchdown that made it 23 to 20. So, uh, again, a lot of time spent not doing a whole hell of a lot. The Bengals end up kind of crashing, like we said at this point, after they had the field goal that made it 2013. They had four punts in a row. So this is where this starts here. So you get the Bengals first drive of the fourth. Burrow ends up getting hurt. Now, this is also a big key to the game, in my opinion, is that when he got hurt at 11.51, left in the, in the fourth, it definitely affected their play calling out of that injury, right? And this is the risk that you run that you run when you have a shitty line, as the, the Bengals do, is that if you're going to have a quarterback that's going to take the pounding that Burrow does, you run the risk that he's going to get hurt. Now, he's already had one monster knee injury, and now here you have him battling another injury, which ended up being nothing, and I guess he's not going to need surgery. Thank God, knock on wood for Bengal fans. But he gets hurt there. And so what happens is the Rams punt, Bengals get the ball back, and this is where you kind of see, okay, what the hell's going on here? Because if Burrow's hurt and he can't really play, should he be in the game? That's the biggest question. Well, how hurt is he? I don't know. Again, that's a question that the sideline would know, Burrow would know, but I will say that once he comes back, they have two runs by Mixon. They get a third conversion to Evans. Now, on that third down conversion to Evans, what you said, what you saw was... Oh, actually, it was the next play. Sorry. So they get third down conversion to Evans. The two run plays by Mixon, and, and they're quick. Every time that Burrow gets the ball, he's getting the ball out, and he's handing it off, and he's getting rid of the ball. He's not sitting back there in the pocket taking any time. They are getting the ball out of his hands, and I would assume, and I interpreted that, as he has a banged-up knee or to some degree, and they don't want him sitting on the ball. So 
after that third and dirt down conversion to Evans, you have a first down toss to Mixon. And now it, it ends up being a bad play. It makes it second and 14. But what it did show you was that Burrow could move on that knee. So if you thought he was injured after the last series on that sack and that the first couple of plays of this series, they're not really testing Burrow, that scramble movement on that first down toss to Mixon should have shown you that he could have used that knee more. And I would have thought that it would have resulted in different play calling after the fact. But the next play, an immediate draw, which makes it third and nine, at that point, you're just kind of like, what the hell, right? <laughs> Dude, if you were worried about it, you shouldn't be now because he just showed you on the first down run that he can actually move around on the knee. And then a, a draw on second and 14 that gets you to third and nine. I mean, come on. You're up four with six minutes left, and you're putting yourself in a position of having a third and nine. I, you know, I just you're not up by two scores. You're now only up by four, right? The... the touchdown on the other side would work against you and it would end up costing you the game. So I just did not understand unless they really, 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 even though he moved around on that first down toss to Mixon, they really thought that Burrow's knee was shot. But regardless, um, nothing amounts to them. Rams are thrown up against the rope on the next series because they end up getting in a fourth and one. And this was one of the plays of the game, and this was the end around a cup. And at this point, this ends up being all haymakers in the terms of cup to the face, because that is all the Rams gave you from here on out, was cup, 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 and cup. And here you go, fourth and one, end around the cup. This is why he gets the MVPs, because the entire final end of the game here was all, all Cooper Cup. Second and 10 to Cup, that was for nine. You get a first down to uh, to the tight end. Second and, second and seven, three minutes left. Huge Cup first down. It was good for about 20 yards, and that was the throw of the Super Bowl. And if you don't know what I'm talking about at this point, it's an impossibility because everybody has talked about it. It is when Stafford goes, looks off the safety, and then ends up throwing across his body, not to where his helmet is targeted, to Cup, who is sprinting behind the coverage. And so basically, it's like a no-look pass. And it was a phenomenal play. It was good for 20 yards. And easily, I thought, the throw of the Super Bowl. And it's, you know, just go look on Twitter or wherever. I mean, everybody and their brothers talked about it. And I actually think that in the moment, I couldn't really hear Michaels and Collinsworth during the game. So um, I, I don't know, but I'm pretty sure I heard Collinsworth make a point of it. But anyway, so that throw gets them a first down. They get the a first down, they go to Cup. Second down, they go to Acres. And then it gets to be first and goal. So... Two plays after that big 20-yard draw, that 20-yard gain, you get a cup, acres, one-two combination that gets them then first and goal. And now at this point, to me, to me, I start thinking about the extra point because you're thinking to yourself, look, that extra point would have put them down three, not down four. And if you're down three and know that you need a field goal, and you got a pretty solid kicker in Gay. How are you going to call the the next series of downs, right? Are you going to be as aggressive as you would be if you needed the touchdown? And I don't really know. 
And that might have actually worked to the Rams' benefit because maybe they don't. Maybe they don't. Maybe they just go back to not utilizing Cup because they know that they just don't want to turn the ball over. And, you know, getting a field goal and getting them into overtime would be huge. But it is, you know, interesting to think of what they lost extra point did in terms of Rams play calling because it could have worked to their advantage. Now, at this point, like we said, you got first and goal. At the same time, I'm thinking about the extra point. I'm also thinking to myself like, well, you know, you can't let them in there now, but you know, the Bengals, they're kind of getting chewed up here and a touchdown brings you to down three. And you are battling the clock. They do have three timeouts, but they're battling the clock. So here's what happens for the rest of the downs here. So first and goal, they throw it out of the end zone. Second and goal, they have a missed pass interference on the running back coming out of the backfield. I think it was Henderson. I don't think it was Cup, but I think it was Henderson. He comes out of the backfield and he gets mugged. He gets mugged. On that same play, the offensive line also jumped for the Rams. So, I mean, maybe you negate it, but the offensive line jumped. They didn't throw a flag. Then the running back out of the backfield, he gets clobbered, and they don't get the pass eye here. That brings it to third and goal. Now, third and goal, obviously, is the huge penalty of the game. The O-line jumped. They missed it. You get pass interference on Wilson, and that gives them a new set of downs. So now, at the end of that, you're going to have fourth and goal, 144 left on the four-yard line. This is where really it's kind of like, all right, look, you know, maybe we should just let him in because we there's 144 left and we don't want to lose out on at least tying the game because we don't have any time left because they milked it too much. Now, the Rams, for whatever reason, didn't really decide that they wanted to, to like, run the clock out. It was kind of sitting there wondering, like, shouldn't you bleed this a little bit? Like, why aren't you bleeding the clock? Because the Bengals have a great one-two punch, and they have a phenomenal kicker. So let's run the clock out a little bit. But they decide not to, right? And some of the play calls are just really questionable down the end. Um, so, but anyway, so let, let's get back here. So like I said, pass interference on Wilson, 144 left. First and goal on the four, you get the double flags. And that was, uh, I forget, well, the one was uh, uh, helmet-to-helmet on cup, and there was something else involved as well. And so you just redo it again. 138 left on the clock. You get first and goal. You get the flag on Eli Apple after that. Apple, obviously, you know, there's really not much to talk about. He had a terrible game. Um, But anyway, you get the flag on Apple. So it's 135 now left. You're going to have a first and goal, and they're going to move the ball forward from the four to the one. Now here... Again, if you're both teams, if I'm the Rams at this point, you know, I've got to bleed the clock. And if I'm the Bengals at this point, i got to let them in. Because I, are you really going to stop them at, you know, first and goal on the one with a buck 30 left or a buck 35 left? You're not going to get the ball back. Right, so I mean, if you if you really are going to try to go toe to toe with them, and it's going to go all the way to fourth down, maybe they kick the field goal, maybe they say shit, it's the it's the Super Bowl, we're going to go for the win, and we're just going to go for it. In which case, you're really going to lose on time. Now, granted, they did have three timeouts, so they could stop them, stop them, and you know, and, and try to get the ball back with some time left. However, on the ensuing drive, you're not going to have your timeouts left. 
Um, and so it's going to put you in a really tight spot should you need you know as much time as you need to get McPherson in the field goal range, right? So I just, at this point, I kind of thought the Bengals should have let him in. On this first and goal at the one, the Rams do attempt to sneak. They didn't kneel it. They didn't try to bleed any more clock out. They just tried to sneak it. Get stuffed. Bengals burn one of those timeouts. And here's a head-scratcher from my standpoint with the Rams. Because on the next play, you would think that they'd probably do a run again, right? I mean, you're trying to bleed the clock. They run a pass to Cooper Cup, which ends up results in the touchdown, puts them up 23-20. to But think about what would have happened had Cup not got that catch. Let's say, you know, incomplete. I mean, worst case, interception or something to that regard. But if Cup doesn't get the ball, the clock's going to stop. And you're going to give the Bengals another one of their timeouts to save. That would have put you at third in goal. The Bengals would have had two timeouts, not one. I just thought that anything in that spot should have been on the ground. It wasn't. They went to cup. That netted them the 23-20, and that basically was the ball game. But, uh, you know, the Bengals did have one more chance, and they had plenty of time. They had two timeouts, and their whole drive was just an absolute disaster. They finally get the ball back, 125 left. They've got two timeouts. You get a big first down to chase. Why'd he go out so early? I don't know. But he got a big first down that put them, you know, within taste of uh, a scoring distance, right? They, they could smell it. They could smell it. But unfortunately, it didn't go out that way. So you get the big first down to Chase. You get a big first down to Boyd. That makes it second and one. And at the clock at 115 at this point, you thought they would call a timeout. They end up not calling the timeout. So you have second and one, one fourteen on the clock. No timeout. You need the first. I don't understand anything after this point. Because to me, the first down is the most imperative thing the Bengals need. Because you don't want to get into a third, fourth, and you know one position. Because you're at second in one, as it is. So if you end up... Not getting it here, it's going to be third and one. If for whatever reason you don't get it there, then you're going to be fourth and one, and that's going to be a really shoddy situation. We'll burnt timeouts. My thought process was call a timeout, get your next two plays ready to go, and if you want to do something, hurry up to try to catch the offense. You could do so out of the timeout with the plays you know, set up. Get your ducks in a row. They decide to go no timeout. Second and first, they go downfield. Complete miss. Me, personally, another head-scratching. And like I said a little while ago when we started this down, that, I mean, this down being this segment, is that there was a lot of head-scratching things on, on parts of the Bengals, uh, Bengals coaching and their offensive play calling. But there you get the second and first downfield miss. So you ate up all that time because you didn't call a timeout. Then you throw an incomplete pass, so that stops the clock fine. But there's 48 seconds left. So at 114, had you called the timeout, you could have gathered, you know, gathered your your shit, got your shit together, got your plays ready, and you probably wouldn't have had a fourth third and one with 48 seconds left, right? You probably would have third and one with, you know, a buck change, whatever. Um, but you lost 30 seconds for a, a stupid shot downfield. I didn't understand it at all. So there you go at second and down, uh, second and one. That makes it third and one with the incomplete pass. Mixon is not 
in the game at this point. Now, you had a dead ball because that second and first play was that shot downfield. So there's no reason to have Perrine in this game. I mean, he should have been out of there, and he had multiple times to be out of there. But he's in there, no mixing. Third down, they go to Perrine, which was terrible. Awful. He gets stuffed by Donald, another one of Donald's big plays. They call the timeout. Then out of the timeout, you go to you go to a fourth down shotgun with a three-by-one set. And again, I can't think what anybody was thinking about for this entire drive. Especially after the first down to Boyd that made it second and one. Because I can't understand the logic of any of it culminating with the fourth down shotgun three-by-one set that they tried to go to. I mean, Burrow had been sacked how many times? Seven times in the game? Um, let me see. I think it was seven times. Uh, I can't pull it up. I'm pretty sure it was seven times, and I don't know the times that he was rushed. But regardless, the Rams had pressure on him all game long, right? You're, you're at fourth and one. You're going to put him out of a shotgun to do, do what? Like a passing play? I, I don't know. Again, it really goes back to the frustration I had with the entire series that I really didn't understand the third down play, uh, the fourth down play. But anyway, the fourth down play ended up being a loser. <laughs> Chase was open downfield. So had he not gotten taken out by uh, by Donald, um, you know, he easily could have went. Well, it was an incomplete pass, right? But uh, Donald was wrapping up when he tried to toss it. But uh, had that not happened and he had a little bit more time, Chase was open downfield. And so the Bengals would have lived another day. But again, this is what you want to avoid at second and one is putting yourself in a tight spot high-pressure situation with the clock running out on you. And so that was all she wrote. That was the game, and then they just, uh, the, the clock wound out. They had one more one more series, and they kneeled it out. And so the Rams end up winning 23-20 to versus the Bengals. You go to the box score, and time of possession was pretty even, 30-48-7 for the Rams, 29-13 for the Bengals. Like I said, third down conversions is where the Bengals really blew up. Uh, they were 3 of 14. The Rams were 6 of 15. Total net yards, Rams 313, Bengals 305. Net yards rushing again for the Rams, not great, 43 yards. So all of my uh, my acres over 58.5 yards uh, was a no-go. My my OBJ ended up being a no-go too. I had him in the over 64.5, and, and ultimately he got injured and he wasn't able to take that out. But um, penalties, I mean, the Rams, there were no penalties in, in this entire game. I mean, the Rams were 2 of 10. Uh, the Bengals had four for 31, and all those things came late. So, um, you know, ultimately, you know, from a referee standpoint, I thought the game was fine on the front end. A big miss there with Higgins, and then really crazy, uh, you know, down the stretch in the sense that they really involved themselves way too much. Um, I just, I, I don't know why all of a sudden it went like a switch. But um, so those were the bulk team stats. As for individually, Stafford had 283 on 26 of 40 throwing the ball, three touchdowns, two interceptions. Burrow, like I said, 22 for 33 uh, for 263 and a touchdown. But if you take away that one big bomb, he was 21 of 32 for a buck 88. Mixon had a good game. Mixon was 15. Uh, 
carries for 72 yards, so he hit his over. Uh, the mix-in over was 63.5, so he hit that. Uh, Receiving-wise, Cup ended up having under 100 yards, but he had 8 for 92 with two touchdowns. So, again, if you had Cup uh, and two touchdowns, that was a big payoff. The Cup and his – he had 8.5 – Eight and a half was the over/under on receptions. One hundred two and a half was the over/under. He was eight for ninety-two, so he was under both of those. Uh, Beckham, like I said, he was under because uh, he got injured uh, with about ten yards to go. Uh, Higgins was over. He was four catches for hundred yards. His over/under was sixty-nine and a half, so he smashed that one. Chase was also over. He ended up having five catches. I think it's five, five or six catches. Eighty-nine yards was the total. His over/under was seventy-nine and a half, so he was. Good. Uh, and there's actually five catches. His over-under on, on receptions was five, so it was no good on receptions. But Higgins and Chase both hit over for their uh, for their yardage. Higgins also had two touchdowns. So if anybody had Higgins multiple touchdowns, you got paid out on that as well. So anyway, that was the game. Again, good. Not great. Um, I, I thought that the Bengals uh, shouldn't have been in it. And then when OBJ... Went down. I mean, it was 13-10 at the time anyway, but that really kept him alive. I question whether or not it would have been as close a ball game had OBJ been there because, to me, it didn't really look like the Bengals had any kind of answer for him. But again, you never know, and that's why they play the game. As it was for the last Sunday of the football season, everybody was sitting at their homes or other people's homes having a couple of brewskis, wines, whatever the hell it was, and you got a good game all the way to the end, and that's all we really want. Um, congratulations for the Rams. They went all in this year, right? Quote, unquote, all in. You've heard about it constantly. F the picks, right? The, the uh, championship uh, ceremony went down, and what's-his-face wearing the F the picks shirt. So, yeah, they they mortgaged their future, uh, you know, for short term. They got players that ended up having a, a piece of this game, and it turned out with a Lombardi trophy sitting within the halls of the Rams team offices. So, congratulations on that. For the Bengals, nice, solid story. It was fun to watch toward the end. Um, I, I think that both the Bills and the Chiefs were probably pretty pissed off sitting at their house because I think that they, they thought that they probably could have had this game. Uh, and I, I agree with uh, that sentiment for any Bills uh, or Chiefs players or fans who thought the same. So, But regardless, the end result, Rams 23, Bengals 20, Rams Super Bowl champions. And so now we'll jump into some of the thematic things in second down, even though I mentioned some of them along the way as we've been talking about the game here. Second down. So thematically speaking, there were a couple of things that really stood out, right? Number one, the offensive line sucks. I mean, they stink. It's true. It is damn true. I, I mean, it was the story of the game, if you ask me, because Burrow just did not have any time to do anything. Anything. It had become thematic not only of this game, but of the Bengals' entire postseason. And unfortunately in this game, I, I think it really hurt them altogether because had they had a little bit more time, look, that last, that last play of the game, for the Bengals that is, Chase was open. 
And had Burrow had a little bit more time on his feet and not been scrambling around, I don't know if he was looking at Chase, but maybe as he was looking to whoever it was out of the backfield, Perrine or or Mixon or whoever the hell it was, maybe he looks up and he sees how Chase was wide open and he gets the ball down there. But none of that happens when your line doesn't give you any time to do anything. So the offensive line was terrible. I thought it was the story of the game, and in the end, it was the line that screwed up the play that resulted in... Game over, man. It's game over. So they'll have a lot to look at in the offseason to try to patch that up and hopefully give Burrow a, a you know a better line in front of him to give him more time and see if... you know I mean, Burrow's got a great career ahead of him. The, inj- the knee injuries here are starting to get a little problematic, but that's not... You know, you're not injury-prone with knee injuries, really. I mean, the... Burrow got smashed with injuries because his line sucked. And he suffered a catastrophic one last year, and then he could have suffered a catastrophic one in this game, uh, both because that line stinks. So they have to figure out a way to right that wrong and make sure that Burrow can live his, you know, up to his best potential. Because the NFL is better with good quarterbacks, and right now they're going to lose several over the next couple of years. You've seen it happening already. Um, and so the more that leave, and especially if they're ones that, I, you know, I don't want to say legendary, it's a pretty strong word, but some are legendary, Brady, and some were really good, Roethlisberger, maybe not, you know, in the short term or, or the near term, but at least historically was good. Um, you know, when you lose good quarterbacks, you got to get good quarterbacks replacing them. And Burrow definitely looks to be one through two years, and you hope that the Bengals can address that line so that he can live up to his potential. The other One of the other themes was OBJ's injury, to me, blatantly changed the way the game was played. Um, and you could see that he was having a great deal of success early on in the game. Granted, it was only two passes, but he was open on that third pass, too. And with the bracket coverage they were giving Cup, it looked as though the Rams kind of were of the mindset of OBJ is the guy and he is going to shine. Now, if you have focused on any prop betting over the postseason, you know that OBJ was just a money maker. I mean, it, that guy was what you wanted because he kept hitting the overs both yardage and catches, I mean, he, he was great in the postseason. And I think that that injury blatantly changed the way that game was played. Kudos, you know, in thinking about it, and I should have mentioned this during the uh, talking about the game, and I forgot about it, but on the Wilson, on the Wilson pass interference, you know, Cubs getting bracketed all game long. And Darius Butler on... On, on not in, I don't think it was Instagram. I think it was Twitter. But Darius Butler, who provides a fantastic breakdown uh, of games and secondary play, uh, you know, if you follow him, he showed the progression of how they got Cup singled out on Wilson, and it was it was awesome. It was an awesome way to see it. And basically, what they did was they kind of identified. You know, with previous plays, how I think it was actually the play before, but they identified with the previous play before what the Bengals' coverage was, came out in a different coverage, and then moved cup so that what happened was based on the play before, they knew who was going to line up with who. They put cup on the other side and then moved him in position. 
And so they basically used the play before to then put Cup man to man with Wilson and ended up playing out. It was a uh, it was a fantastic watch and very educational and a fun thing to see, especially uh, watching Butler break it out. Uh, you know, and I should I, I don't even remember where Darius Butler played, but he's uh, he's become a great a great follow on Twitter, and it was a, a very enjoyable watch watching him do that breakdown. But anyway, um, so Cup you know bracketed for you know most of the game uh, was not a huge factor, but then down the stretch he just became a man. Uh, and well, I mean he was a man before. You know what I mean. Uh, OBJ before that uh, was looking looking to have a big time game and that injury blatantly changed the way things were played. But head coaching was crazy. Another thematic thing. I just did not understand some of it. For the Rams, lack of motion. I mean, they, they had motion for all of McVay's run here in Los Angeles and they just had a, a serious lack of it in this game. Now, obviously it came in big in the instance of the cup motion that locked him up with Wilson. So it's not like it was non-existent, but I just thought there was going to be more of it. The running on first down was also head-scratching. As I, I, I said, how many times have I had head-scratching? I think one, two, three, four, five. No, I, I, I said it a lot. But the runs on first down uh, were just confusing because they were not successful. So even if they were pulling you in info, like I mentioned, at a certain point, you got to get away from it. Um, The inability to work the offense without OBJ was also problematic because, granted, he might have been a big piece of your offense, but once he dropped off, you guys really struggled after that injury. Like I said, seven drives after the OBJ injury, four punts, two interceptions, one field goal, and that was all up until that final touchdown drive where they finally turned on the cup switch. Um, you know, and the inability to milk the clock more down the stretch there when you had first and goal and you didn't want to give the ball back to the Bengals. I just did not understand the the play calling there where I thought it could been it could have been utilized more to milk the clock, but it was not. As for the Bengals, look, play calling that couldn't produce in big spots. Uh, early third that early third down call, the getting a field goal off the chase bomb because they couldn't put it through. You had the fourth and one run that produced a field goal. Uh, you know th- that was when they could have gotten the field goal. You know right out of the gate, but they they didn't. They did the fourth and one run to Burrow. He got the first, but then couldn't get anything off of that, so they got the field goal anyway. Um, you know the drive after Burrow was hurt. I did not understand because if Burrow was hurt, that was one thing. But obviously, when he moved around on that first down pass to Mixon, that made it second and fourteen. Th- th- that showed you that he could have moved around, and then you immediately went to a, a, a what was it? A screen? No, it was a draw afterward. I just, it was just really confusing. And then finally, that final drive, a mess. We've talked about it enough, but both head coaching, um, both head coaching performances, I thought were less than spectacular. Uh, maybe a good call, play call here and there. But overall, I just uh, was not impressed with either of the head coaches in the game. Referees, uh, you know, we mentioned it. We talked about it. Everybody in the brothers talked about it. Look, the referees became way too arbitrary in this game. They missed the Higgins penalty. They missed the pass interference on Henderson when he leaked out of the backfield. They did the makeup call on the following play to Wilson. They missed the O-line jump on that play, though, so that should have negated that. They missed O-line jump before that when Henderson got hit. So you had 
offensive line jumps, two back-to-back plays. Um, you missed a, you missed both of those. You missed a pass interference on one, and then you made a questionable call on Wilson on the other. But the bigger issue is that you just started calling them all down the down the stretch. You know, like no flags through the entire game, and then all of a sudden you just dial it up. And it's not really the way that I would have liked to have seen the game called, but. It is what it is. Again, you, you're not in control of the refs. Some of the stuff is legit, right? Like the helmet to helmet on, on Cup, and the uh, the double pass interference there, or the double penalties, in, which was a f- next play or two after the Wilson hold. You know, some of that stuff. The Eli Apple hold, all good. But you know, you just got involved a little too much down the stretch where I didn't think it was warranted, and I don't even know if it made a whole lot of sense because if you're going to call it ticky tack, how do you miss the all- offensive line jump? Because they blatantly jumped, and you can watch it over and over again, and they're just moving early. Um, Another theme, bad players get exposed in big spots. It is just a fact, and you saw it a bunch in this game. The Bengals, uh, Rams wide receivers for one, once what do you call it went out, once OBJ went out, I mean, they had no answer for trying to replace him. Van Jefferson, Skoranek, they were all terrible. They just couldn't get it going. And remember that they went into the game sans Higgins, too, because, uh, or Tyler Higby, Higby, not Higgins. Tyler Higby, because Higby was injured uh, before, and he couldn't make it to the game. So he was injured in the last game, couldn't make it in this one, so they were down him, they were down Woods, they went down OBJ, and then you get down to, you know, these fringe players. I, mean, I don't know if Van Jefferson's a fringe player, but bad players get blown up in big spots, and you saw that with the Rams wide receivers. You saw that with the Bengals offensive line because they struggled yet again all game long, and it really punished uh, Burrow and hampered his ability to get things done. And then Eli Apple. Look, uh, you know, Eli Apple got roasted on Twitter by all of the NFL, uh, and you heard some people talk. I think Brandon Marshall was talking on a podcast, or maybe it was inside the NFL. I, somewhere, Brandon Marshall was talking about Eli Apple when he was on the Giants. He was on the Giants, what, one year, two years? I can't, I'm a Giant fan. I can't remember. But, and he said he was trying to help Eli Apple and trying to point him in the right direction. And Eli Apple was just, uh, you know, not receptive of commentary from his teammates. And so, uh, you know, I, more people jumped on Twitter than you thought just to send their regards to Mr. Apple for having a terrible game. But again, it just goes to show you that in big spots, bad players get blown up. And it it, it costs games. It does Catch cost games, and here, you know, Apple and the Bengals offensive line really, uh, really botched their attempt here to grab that Lombardi Trophy. And before they screwed it up, the Rams wide receivers really couldn't step up to the plate, and they tried their damnedest to make sure that the Bengals could win the Lombardi Trophy. But uh, ultimately, bad players uh, will cost you, and you saw it in this game. And then I mentioned this uh, in the last down toward the end of it: teams that were ousted must have been pissed, right? Chiefs, Bills, I guess. Packers and Bucks, because you watch this game, and I'm sure all four of those teams thought that they could have uh, pulled in the trophy watching the way that this game played out, right? I mean, especially the Chiefs and the Bills, because, you know, I mean, they really would have tested the the Rams. Um, you know, their defense, I mean, whatever, it was... It's not like the Bengals had a phenomenal defense, so it was probably on par, especially the Bills, right? The Bills' defense and their offense was good. Um, they end up missing out because of that crazy Chiefs ending. Uh, you know, Chiefs' defense, not not nearly as good, but offensively speaking, you know, I, I think there was a lot of 
there was a lot of there was a lot of yardage and touchdowns to be had in this game um, because as good as the Rams were and as good as Donald is, um, I don't know if uh, you know he could have had such a performance against one of those other two teams, right? And then Packers and Bucks uh, again, you know, Packers, Bucks, and Rams I think are probably pretty equal. I you know they all Bucks if they were one hundred percent healthy I think are the best of the bunch. Um, but I think both of them, you know, a healthy Bucks team and a Packers team uh, that didn't get in their own way probably would have had as much success, if not more, than the Rams did. Um, you know, the Rams' offense was okay; it, it wasn't great. Um, and I think the Packers and the Bucks could have also had similar experiences here in the champ in the Super Bowl. But anyway, those teams uh, that must have been ousted must have been pissed, especially Brady, because I think Brady, you know, he really wanted to come back. He knew what he had. He knew that he could line up this team, and they had the they had the ability to get to the big game and probably win it. And if the Bucks are in that game this year versus the Bengals, I'm, I'm pretty sure that they get the W. But, I mean, you never know. I, you know, Todd Bowles could run the zero, zero coverage blitz blitzes at the end and, and screw everything up just like he did in that game versus the Rams. So, you, you never know. But, anyway, those were the quick themes that I saw in the game uh, for the big game. I mentioned some of them as I was talking about the breakdown of the game, but there they are in summary there. And so, let's talk about the things outside of the game. Third down. Stadium was awesome. Uh, you know, and I made a mistake talking about the stadium going into the game because I, for whatever reason, I've just never really looked into SoFi Stadium. So I did not understand that it's not a dome. I thought it was a dome, not a glass ceiling stadium. But uh, after going on with my brother and then trying to figure out, you know, what the hell was it? Like, why, I don't understand the stadium and why they're talking about it being one of the hottest games uh, on record for a Super Bowl, which it wasn't, by the way. Then all of a sudden I'm reading, I'm like, oh, it's not, a, it's just a stadium with a, with a roof. <laughs> Weird design, but that's what it is. It's a fucking stadium that has a glass ceiling. Um, but anyway, the stadium was awesome. Definitely is going to be stadium for the stars, right? Because they couldn't show. I mean, they do it every Super Bowl, but I mean, you have seen it more and more with this stadium and all of the Rams playoff games. I mean, it was just anybody who's anybody up in a luxury box. It was, I mean, it, it truly is what the NFL wants. They want a big Los Angeles uh, presence. They want that media market and they want to have some big gaudy stadium that pulls in celebrities and you saw it in effect for this Super Bowl. Um, the next item, The Rock. Dude, what the, what the fuck, dude? No, look, I talked about it earlier, but that, I, number one, the Rock, like I mentioned, can't do what he did before. It just doesn't have the same impact. He's not a WWF wrestler anymore, WWE wrestler, whichever one you prefer. He's he's not. And so seeing him try to go back and dig up the old Rock persona from his days in the, in the squared circle... Um, it just doesn't work, man. It just doesn't. And then you, you you compound that by wearing you know an all plum outfit. Uh, you know you do you do like you look like a big giant eggplant. Don't be rude. It, he did. I can't help it. I he, he, it was just weird. And you're sitting there. I actually can't believe what I just saw. Saying that to yourself. Well, what the hell was it? But anyway, congrats on your your wrestling your you know former wrestling career your current Hollywood career. But seriously, what were you? thinking putting on that outfit and the intro was just really lackadaisical uh 
Commercials. Enough of crypto. Can we can we say it? Crypto. Ah! Enough. I can't hear the word crypto anymore. I love the stock market. I follow it pretty avidly. If you're into crypto, fine. A lot of people have made a ton of money doing it. I don't know if it's a tradable asset. It feels to me at this point to be more an investment vehicle that has you know high beta, but the risk is off the charts. But the fact that they allow crypto and crypto exchanges and anything related to crypto to just pound out these commercials and shove this down everybody's throat, you know, I, head scratching. It, it, I should take that back. Oh, there he is. Head scratching again. Right. I, mean, I went to go for my uh, cliche monster and I for, missed it. But now it's not even a cliche monster. Now I'm just saying words over and over again. Uh, but for a lack of, you know, analogies or, or other ways to say head scratching. Anyway, so crypto. I crypto really should be regulated in so many different ways, and it, it it's the. You know, the government related to the financial markets, and they never do a good job at regulating anything. So I don't know why I would be surprised that the commercials were just flooded with crypto, but that's what it was. And all these Hollywood stars and Brady, Hawk, and crypto exchanges, it's just enough is enough. But to me, the reason that you got so many crypto commercials was because in regards to the commercials, it's not a big game anymore. Right, the Super Bowl is not a big commercial game because I don't know if everybody likes to spend that kind of money anymore with the return on val- on their investment, and especially when a lot of these commercials come out before the game is played. Uh, I I made it. I made a point this year not to watch any of the commercials I had in years past, and, I, and then I kind of ruined the experience. I knew some of the things that were coming. I didn't know all of them, but I made a point not to watch them because I wanted to see them in the moment. Um, I, I'm pretty sure that they release all the commercials beforehand. They have the past couple of years. If they didn't this year, then this makes no sense. But anyway, just not a big game anymore. The big-time commercials aren't really there. You're getting it pounded with things like crypto and you know what it was in terms of the commercials commercial presence, corporate presence. I just don't feel it anymore. Uh, halftime show. So this was the big one. Let's let's be honest. It was a it was a great halftime show. I know it was not for many people. I know a lot of people had a problem with it. I am 46 years old. I love hip hop. Well, I shouldn't say hip hop. I'm not a hip hop guy. I'm a rap guy. But I love rap. I've been listening to it since I was I don't know, 10 years old. And for me, this brought me all the way back to high school and college because this was what I was listening to. Now, I wish they had gotten into a little bit of the uh, earlier 90s, right? They could have played some of the chronic. Now, there might have been some rights things regarding that, and he might not have wanted to align Suge's pockets because I don't know what Suge Knight gets uh, in terms of residuals from anything chronic-related. So it was all 2001 and post. But anyway, it was a good... It was a great halftime show. Started getting text messages from everybody. Everybody was really into it. But let's be honest. It wasn't awesome. right? It, it wasn't awesome. It was great. It just wasn't awesome. 
right? I mean, I'm, you're not going to go back, you know, 20, oh, do you remember, do you remember the Dr. Dre halftime show? Do you remember how great that was? I mean, you'll say like, oh yeah, it was a good one, but like awesome. Yeah. If you, if you talk about inside the stadium, the stage was cut off from half of the audience. And I was listening to the GM shuffle and I think Mike Lombardi pointed this out as well. And I was saying the same thing. I'm sitting there in, in the house that I was watching this and I said, I said, man, I'd hate to be in the stadium because if you're sitting on the one half, you're going to miss out on everything on the other side of the stadium because it's all just solid <laughs> the stage so you missed out on that whole half of the stadium which which was really weird way to create the stage at least intra it looked great on tv but intra stadium you, you cut off a lot of people and the, and the other thing the presentation was very linear so there were no real surprises right you got fatty scent but you had no tupac and then you had each person have one song each I, obviously dre had a couple i uh, had what three total uh he had california love he had um next episode and then he finished it off with still dre so he had three but everybody else had one um you know i mean in regards to tupac everybody thought the hologram was going to be there no hologram um, you know, he did play the the piano chord for the Tupac song, and then nothing after that. But it was just they came out. You know, Dre introduced everybody. Him and Snoop did their thing for the next episode, and then it went to Fifty Cent, or then it went to California Love, then it went to Fifty Cent, then it went to Mary J. Blige, then it went to Eminem, then it wrapped up with Dr. Dre again. So. I, how else would you do it, Rich? You fucking asshole. You know what do you what do you want? It's linear. What kind of you know criticism is that? Sorry, I I just thought it was going to be uh, a little bit more off the cuff, if you will. I just it felt very lined up. It was cool, and then it was like, uh, yeah, that's cool, that's cool, that's cool, that's cool. But there was no real surprises, and uh, in the end, it like I said, very linear is the only way I can think to describe it for a lack of vocabulary on my part. Uh, and then the fan base. For the Rams, this is the last thing I'll touch on, and you saw this specifically in the the ceremony, the the whatever the, the parade. The fan base for the Rams is really pathetic. I'm sorry, it, it just is, and I'm sure it's the same way for the Chargers, if not more so. But the Los Angeles fan base for football is non-existent on the professional level. It's just because it's been so transient. You've had the Los Angeles Raiders, the Los Angeles Superchargers, the Los Angeles Rams. Then they went away. Then they came back. Now you have the Los Angeles Chargers and you have the Los Angeles Rams. They both play in the same stadium in a in a region that loves the Lakers, likes USC football when they're good, but you know hasn't really found a place to put National Football League in their fan space. They just haven't. They haven't figured it out. And you saw in that parade, it was pretty terrible. I think I heard Jim Rome do one of these Odyssey Sports Minutes where he said it was really cold. I don't care. what, it, Whatever it is, it just was not a good showing for a team that won it. And now, what are you going to get? I When I was talking to my brother on the podcast before this, going into the game, the one thing I specifically remember saying was that they're going to need a good like 5-10 years of having a solid team to try to cultivate the fan base that they don't have right now. And Guess what's happening? This whole team, like, could be dismantled. Right? McVeigh's talking about going, you know, possibly being a, a, a what do you call it, an announcer. If he goes to be an announcer, you don't know if Donald's gonna uh, Donald's gonna bow out. You know, I mean, you could lose a lot of a lot of shit here. And if 
depending on the pieces that you lose, you might not be able to put together a repeat performance. So how is a fan base going to get into this team if after they win the Lombardi, they're mediocre, right? Or or just average. Like, you're going to need to have a, a consistent winning ball club if you want to cultivate anything. And as a Giant fan, the only reason the Giant have fans right now and the Jets have fans right now is because, you know, they had a... Well, the Jets, I don't know why they have fans, to be honest. But the Giants have had some success, right? And they've been here forever, right? So you've either been in the area forever and it's just kind of your bear to crawl... You're across the bear being, you know, part of an organization or being a fan of an organization that just stinks... Um, or you've had some success and you've seen the ta- you know, you've seen it, you smelled it, you tasted it. You know, uh, Chicago Bears have been bad forever, right? They went to the Super Bowl versus the Colts that one year, but otherwise pretty horrific. But I mean, it's a legendary franchise. The Rams are none of that. I mean, they have one Super Bowl. Historically, all of their fan base is left in St. Louis. I mean, that's where they really went nuts. The fan base that was in Los Angeles previously is gone. And if you don't turn around and produce a couple of more years of good winning football, it'd be very easy for this fan base just to pick up and take off. And so, yes, the move to Los Angeles benefits the NFL and definitely gives them the number one media market and certain things that they want, but is questionable in the sense that you really now have to cultivate a fan base that has shown time and time again that they don't have a passion for the National Football League. And you're going to have to do it in two divisions or two conferences because you got an AFC and an NFC team. So again, uh, fan base for the Rams, pretty questionable. And we'll see if uh, you know the Rams can actually build that base and the NFL can get what they want either out of the Chargers or the Rams going forward. But for at least that one Sunday and uh, whenever they did the parade, they had the you know they were the fan base of choice because they were victorious again, twenty three to twenty Rams over the Bengals. So that leaves I guess one last thing to talk about, and that was all of the wagers. So So let's jump over to our wager segment. Fourth down. So here you go. You had the Rams favored by four and a half, the over under at 48 and a half. So you ended up getting the dog and the under, which oddly enough ended up being what the turnout was for most of the 2021 season was dogs and under. You did not get a dog outright win, which is thematically where the money was being generated was dogs won a ton this year. So if you liked them, you'd better off just take the dog to win. Um, but here you did get a dog uh, with the points and then you got over under, uh, you know, 43 was the total compared to the 48 and a half, which was the over under. So dogs in the under were the results of the straight up bets uh, going to what my brother and I had talked about. Uh, let's see. Rams, six and a half. My brother teased both games up and down. He took the Rams. He took the, not teased, but alternative spreads. He took the Rams, six and a half. Bengals, two and a half. So that ended up being, no, what am I doing? That's what I meant. It was no good. It was no good. Both of those 
worked out for him previously, but it did not work out for him this time. Uh, across the board, he also had a couple other whifferoos. He had Higgins uh, for the first score. That was no good. He had Donald for the first sack. That was no good. He had the Ram uh, TD last Rams defense. That was no good. So with all of those, it was whifferoo. However, he came through because he ultimately had Bates with the first interception, and then he also had Blue Gatorade, which ended up being a winner in that regard. So Bates already told you that that was a winner, but Blue Gatorade also good for the win. So I don't know if that got if that covered everything that he bet, um, but I think it might have. So he might have been even uh, for the game. As for me, like I said, I had went through my bankroll, and so I was picking for fun, uh, and I went with the Rams and the under, so I was good with the Rams. I was I was I was bad with the Rams, good with the under. Um, as for things that I liked, uh, I liked first touchdown. I liked Stafford, Burrow, and OBJ. Obviously, OBJ hit that, so I was good there. I also had mentioned that if you wanted to put OBJ plus a Rams win, that ended up taking the odds from plus nine hundred to plus twelve hundred. So that came in too. Uh, first sack, I had B.J. Hill and Leonard Floyd. Uh, like I said, it was uh, Hendrickson. Hill came up with the big tackle for a loss after that. So again, got close, but not not close enough. And then tackles. Uh, I was thrown up between Bates and Logan Wilson. I took Logan Wilson at 8.5. Both of those plays would have been good. Um, and I think they were both good by maybe a tackle. I think Bates might have had 6 and Logan might have had 9. Uh, but regardless, uh, they were both good, so I had that one. So I had OBJ, I had that uh, with the win, and then I had Logan Wilson with the tackles. Uh, I was wrong with the game itself. I had the I had the Rams, which were wrong, but I did have the under. So uh, other little tidbits uh, about the game in, in terms of betting. Uh, this is what, if you had... Uh, Mixon, you had the over Mixon. That was good at 63.5 yards. Akers, again, uh, he had 58.5. I liked the over there, and that couldn't have been more wrong. They tried to feed him the rock. It didn't work out. So Mixon was good for over his yardage. yardage. Uh, Cup was an under. OBJ was an under. Um, Jefferson, an under. Chase and Higgins, both over their uh, yardage. Boyd, also an over. Uh, his over-under was 40.5. And, and what was his end result? Boyd had 48. So he was good for the over as well. Um, passing, Burrow was over his yardage. 276.5 was the over-under. He, he broke that. Stafford was under, so Burrow over. Stafford under um, in regards to completions, attempts, interceptions, all the rest of it. Stafford was good for all of them. Stafford was good on completions, attempts, uh, interceptions, and touchdowns. So you couldn't go wrong with Stafford uh, unless you bet his yardage. Um, and what, Did I screw that at Stafford? Right, 283. 283, so, oh, I'm sorry. So he was good across the board. Stafford was good for the yardage. Burrow was not good for the yardage, so I think I mixed mixed that up. So let's rewind that. And Stafford was good for yardage, completions, attempts, interceptions, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, Burrow, not so much. Um, and then other things that we had talked about. Oh, longest uh, longest rush, longest reception. Um, it was a lot of under. Mixon was over. He 13 and a half. He broke that. Akers was under. Cup was under his 27 and a half. Uh, and I think I talked about that. I think I took Cup. Did I take Cup? I can't remember his under longest reception. But 27 and a half, and he was under. OBJ 
was over his. Uh, Chase was over his. Higgins was over his um, as they both had uh, longs. Uh, Tiggins had the 75-yard bomb. Chase had a 46-yarder. So they both broke that. So that was everything related to the game. Uh, if you want to check out some of the ancillary halftime bets, we'll go through that because we talked about it. Uh, the first song out of the gate was Next Episode, so that was good if you would have had that. I like Lose Yourself. I was wrong. Uh, performer to Seek or Spin, Speak or Sing first. I had liked Eminem because I thought it might go Lose Yourself, Eminem, but it wasn't. It was Dr. Dre behind a mixing board. So Dre was the first one to talk. How many songs will be performed over under nine and a half? Under the, it was the under. It was under nine. Color of Eminem's hair when first shown brown or black, which was the leader in the clubhouse. Eminence headwear, hat, or hoodie, which was also a favorite. None of these really were groundbreaking. I mean, next episode on several of the websites was the favorite, and that ended up being the uh, the first song. So, I mean, there was no- nothing really to command a whole ton of money out of. The one that you might have, Snoop's shoe color. It was white! It was white! Which was not... Blue was the favorite. Yellow gold was after that. Now, he did have some gold on the white shoe. So I don't know how that sports book paid out on it. And these I'm talking about, I believe, are Bet Regal. Uh, I think it's what I'm talking about. But anyway, White Shoes for Snoop Dogg. Last song to be played during the halftime show ended up being still DRE. Uh, here, California Love was the favorite. So I don't know, depending on, on what book it was, but still DRE could have been a nice little uh, set of money there. First Eminem song to be played, Lose Yourself, and it was Lose Yourself. So halftime betting, uh, what was there? Not not a lot. Like I said, very linear and not a lot of money to be made. So depending on what you what book you used, if you decided to do some halftime uh, performance betting, I guess maybe the Snoop's White, white Shoes and maybe... Uh, still DRE to end it was uh, could have made some money, but that's uh, but that's about it. So that's it in a nutshell. I mean, it does it for 2022, 2021. That is, we're in 2022, but the Super Bowl is now in the books, and the Rams get to take that Lombardi Trophy and take that home with them. They had their you know their parade, and now they get to look toward next year. The Bengals, meanwhile, look to fill up that line with some better performers and everybody else tries to figure out how they can soon get to the promised land. And that'll be, I mean, shortly enough. I mean, hell we, uh, we got what another six months before the end of the, before the start of the season, Uh, a couple of months here before the draft and you'll have the combine coming up then the draft. So there's enough football to fill the plate. It's going to be a a dead time here going forward. Um, But, you know, we're going to try to keep the podcast going here and there with some shows. I I was doing a bunch before last season started. I'd like to kind of get back up to that. I was doing about one a week this year uh, with the gambling. I try to do a recap on the morning of the game and so now in the off off season, try to uh, do some more here with the news as, as it's relevant, right? You're not going to do a podcast for no reason, but so long as there's information there. And try to branch out, maybe try to reach out and see if I... Some people I know, I don't know that many, but see if I can't pull a person in here and there to uh, talk about the NFL. So um, with all of that said, that will do it for the Broken Helmet today. And that'll do it for the Broken Helmet for 2021. We'll wrap it up on this and then we will jump into uh, the next season. Season. So we will start with episode, uh, what we'll call it, 22.1, signifying the 22 year and uh, the first season, so our first podcast. So 
all the best to everybody that has listened, that has uh, partaked in any of the gambling that my brother did. You don't want to do anything that I did. It didn't work out well. So anyway, don't follow my trade. You will get wrecked. Uh, All the best. Peace out. Talk to you soon.